Well, good day, friends, and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. My name's Matt. It's great you're joining us here today. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for Sunday, the 7th of August, 2022. Uh, as we begin, hear these words of Scripture uh, from Psalm 130. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Uh, with these great promises of our God, let's go now to a time of praise.
Almighty and ever-living God, your Spirit made us your children, confident to call you Father. Increase your Spirit within us and bring us our promised inheritance. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, as we come to the ministry of God's Word now, I'll invite you to pause the video for a moment, uh, to grab your Bible and to have a read of our Bible passages. So our Old Testament reading today is from Ecclesiastes 4 verses 7 through to 12. Our psalm is Psalm 133. And our New Testament reading, which I'll share from in a moment, is Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through to 18. That's Romans 12, 9 through to 18. Uh, pause, have a read, and when we come back, I'll share from that one. Well, let me pray as we come to think about God's word together. Heavenly Father, please guide us in the ways of your truth. Please help us to see who you've called us to be and how you call us to live as a result of your grace. Father, help us to leave here today praising you. Amen. Well, school buses are funny places, aren't they? Uh, when I was in high school, I spent... Uh, at least three hours a day on the school bus. It's a long time. But there's lots of funny memories that I have from those few thousand hours uh, on the school bus. For most people, though, the experience of getting on a school bus is much the same. As we get on a bus, there's people that we, we know, we love, we get along with, and we want to go and sit next to. We look forward to that. There'll be other people who we politely nod to on their way past them and acknowledge them. Uh, as we walk our way up the aisle. And still there'll be others who we, we don't acknowledge at all, we don't care much about. Uh, unless we're forced, of course, to sit next to them or we accidentally make eye contact with them. I mean, that's a pretty good description, I think, for how most people uh, experience walking onto a bus, even for the hundred thousandth time. But is that what it looks like for us as well? as we walk into church. A few weeks ago, I showed from Ephesians chapter 4 how when it comes to our role in church, we shouldn't think of church like a bus. Rather, the image the Bible gives us is of a body. And the body image captures the way that we work together with our varying gifts to serve the whole thing as it grows. But I wonder, how does the way that we relate to other people as we come into church, how, what does that say about our view of them? Do we actually relate to some people in church like we're walking onto the school bus? As we think about our capacity and often desire to only have one kind of small and, and close-knit group of friends, as we think about the amount of people in our lives and the sheer difference among all the kind of Christians there are as we gather together, and then you add in all the complexity of baggage and all those kinds of things, it might almost feel inevitable that the default way some of us coming to church is just like getting on a school bus. 
There'll be some people we look forward to seeing and some people we all but ignore. But is that the way it should be? Well, it should be no surprise that the New Testament's answer is a resounding no. Of course, and, and you might say, of course our relationships shouldn't look like that in church. We all agree in principle, but I think if we were to stop and consider uh, our own habits for a minute, then we might actually see that there's a bit of a disconnect. Now, as we look to the letter uh, to the Romans, to the early church in Rome, uh, Paul seems to be concerned with the possibility that there's some uh, school bus-like relationships that might start to happen or actually happening. And so in chapter 12, we find a striking string of commands as he encourages his Christian brothers to treat each other the right way. Now, as we get into the letter of Romans, uh, it's basically split up into two kind of easily seen sections. Chapters 1 to 11 are taken up talking about what we believe as Christians, what God has done for us. And then chapter 12 onwards, he deals with what are the implications of that for our lives in the here and now. And when we get to chapter 12, he tells us that our Christian living is anchored in God's mercy. And in fact, he calls us to an all of life worship. And so we're in chapter 12 and we'll start with verses 1 and 2 before we get to our passage. In verse 1 and 2, he says, this is Paul, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you get that? Worship isn't just what happens on Sunday. Worship is a whole of life kind of thing. And then again, uh, Paul here, he goes on to speak about the way that Christians, gathered Christians, are like a body, a body that's made up a whole, of a whole bunch of different parts, a body with much diversity. Yet in spite of the diversity and differences between people in any gathering of Christians, in today's passage, he then urges us to live in love and harmony with one another. Love here is the ethical driver. And it sounds nice, doesn't it? Uh, no one would disagree with living in love with one another. But what is love? What does it look like? Well, point one, if you've got the outline, you can see it. He starts with the character of love. Verse one, love must be sincere. Now, the problem reading this is that, however, I mean, love can be a pretty vague term, can't it? Uh, people fill it with almost any meaning that they want it to have. Particularly in a culture where love is thought of primarily as a feeling, as something, something you can fall in and out of, the biblical significance and meaning of love really needs to, to have some careful attention given to it. Biblical love, as we're constantly reminded in the pages of scripture, is not an emotion, but it's an attitude. It's a mindset. Now, up to this point in Romans, uh, virtually all the references to love have, have been to God's love for us, demonstrated as he sends his son, Jesus, down to die on the cross so that you and I can be brought out of death and into life with him. When it comes to God's attitude for us, love isn't a feeling. No, love's a commitment. It's a decision. 
And it's this same kind of love that Paul urges us to treat one another with. And these words, sincere love, in verse 1, they seem to hang over all that follows like a bit of a heading. But then it may seem strange that the exhortation to love is quickly followed by a command to hate. See it in verse 9, as we keep reading. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. But I don't think we should be surprised at that point. Because love, in its truest sense, is not a a kind of blind sentiment. Love isn't something that wholeheartedly embraces and, and necessitates affirmation. No, love is discerning. The God who loves us is also the God who intensely hates all things that are evil. And so love needs to be defined on God's terms. Christian love, then, is more than a feeling. It's a rejection of all is e- all that's evil and a cling to uh, a pursuing of what's good. So how should this shape itself up in the Christian community, then? Well, we go on to verse 10. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Now, The 2011 NIV at this point, it misses the nuance of the specific kind of love that he's talking about. The word isn't love, isn't simply love, but it's literally brotherly love. Be devoted to each other in brotherly love. And so as a spiritual family, uh, every church is meant to exhibit, exhibit the kind of intimacy towards one another that marks even the best of earthly families. We're to love each other as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when you're at church, as you look around, would you describe the people there like your family? Because that's what, we, that's what we're being called to do here. But then in verse 10, he also says to honour one another above yourselves. And in a world obsessed with self, to honour others above you, it's, it's completely out of sync with the, with the pervading culture. But it's not unique. In fact, are the themes and language of Romans 12, it's, it's linked closely with that of Philippians chapter 2, where Christ's own humility is held up as an example for us to follow. I'll read it to you from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. You can read along if you like. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but to to that of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, he became uh, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The character and shape of our love for one another is Christ himself. In Jesus, we find what it truly looks like to put someone else first. But please don't hear me saying that uh, Jesus' death is simply... uh, a good example for us to follow. Now, his death is more than that. His death is a sign of our sin and our utter need of God's grace. 
but it's also the means by which we find forgiveness and life with God. As we turn back to Romans 12, we saw in verse 9 that Paul there calls us to hate what is evil. And in the first half of the letter to the Romans, Paul makes it clear that in each of our lives, our lives are stained by just that. They're stained by sin, by evil. Lives that reject giving glory to God and instead seek it for ourselves. And the result of this, we're told, is that we come under God's wrath. That's what we're deserving of. But he says, Jesus died as a substitute for you. He got what we should get so that we are forgiven and receive the life that we don't deserve. And so if you're, if you're new watching along with us today, if you're still working out who Jesus is, this is the part that I want you to hear and wrestle with. That even though we reject God, and that rejection deserves his wrath, God loves you enough that he sent Jesus down to die on the cross, taking your place, so that by faith, you can be forgiven so that by faith you can have a new life in him. But as we step back again, the point to be seen here is that the character of our love for one another is Jesus himself. Which means that for us, loving our church, it's not simply a feeling, no, it's a commitment. A commitment to the other people around us, putting them first even when it costs. So how are we going at that? Uh, is this a characteristic of our gatherings? Is this something we see in our, in our midweek small groups? Now, while the main focus of all this section is on the horizontal dimension of our, of our Christian faith, our relationships with one another, uh, we should never let that push out or diminish the vertical uh, dimension of our faith. And so in point two, as we get to verses 11 and 12, uh, Paul reminds us of the link between these two dimensions. That is, our relationship with one another is an extension of our relationship with God, and it flows out from it. He says then in verse 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Uh, our Christian lives are to be marked by spirit-filled eagerness. Uh, but not in a kind of loosey-goosey, choose-your-own-adventure kind of way. No, at the end there, he adds, serving the Lord as a sort of control or a check so that we don't interpret this as a license to unbridled, unbridled spiritual, you know, Christian faith in some degree or another. No, spiritual passion must always be put in obedient service to God. And how do we know God's will? Well, we look to his word. His word, which is, Ephesians 6 tells us, the sword of the Spirit. Well, then if verse 11 is about, is about zealous service, verse 12 then is about staying the course. And he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Uh, the early Christians, they often had very little to be joyful or, or, or to hope, hold a hope in in, uh, in their current circumstances, in the world at least. And yet all Christians have the sure and certain hope for the future that God promises us. When we stand with Jesus, we have the promise of a new life with God, not only here and now, but in the future. 
its culmination in the new creation when he returns. That is a sure and certain promise. And so in Romans 8, verse 18, Paul can be confident to say that I consider our present sufferings are not worthy, not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so we give ourselves a prayer then, asking the God who knows and loves us that he will also strengthen us in our joyful patience of his promises. So then, in verses 9 and 10, uh, Paul's given us an ethical maxim, if you like, uh, a Christ-shaped, sincere love that should guide our conduct with each other. Uh, In 11 and 12, he reminds us that this doesn't happen in isolation from our own personal relationship with God. But what does that brotherly love and concern actually look like then? How does it play out? What does it look like to be a church that's welcoming and loving of each other? Well, point three, uh, the kind of love that we're being called to express and live out among each other, it's not merely shallow or, or lip service love, no. It's genuine and intensely practical. And this all still fits under the banner of verse nine, sincere love. Now, as we skim through these, the temptation might be to think about uh, the way that other people at our churches uh, aren't keeping up their end, they aren't acting in love. But I want to encourage you rather to ask, how am I going in these things? And so here we go. Verse 13, he starts, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Our Christians should never become insensitive to the practical and the material needs of other believers. I should, we should want to be gracious with those outside the church, yes, but even more so, the, priori- the priority is to be generous, to be gracious, to meet the needs of those inside the church. Now, for the last few years, while Dee and I were living in Sydney, we're at Bible College, and like most Bible College families, we didn't have a lot of money, aside from meeting the bare expenses. But one thing we were struck by was the sheer generosity of other Christians that God had put in our lives. In fact, we were blown away and I was in a lot of disbelief at just how generous people were often being. But I think that also shows a deficiency in my own willingness to be generous and meet the needs of others. The fact that I was surprised that people were faithful to the kind of commands that Paul has here and instruction to be generous towards one another. No, rather challenging, challenging my own uh, thinking Other people rightly considered this kind of uh, practical love simply to be part of what it is, a fundamental part of what it is to be a Christian community. Well, Paul also says in verse 13, practice hospitality. Now, in a day without motels or restaurants, hospitality was desperately needed. Uh, Now, the context for this was traveling Christians, Christians visiting the church in Rome who would stop and encourage them. But if this is to be the kind of hospitality that we show others who, uh, brothers and sisters who we don't know, how much more should we be showing hospitality and opening our homes to our brothers and sisters here at church that we do know? And the phrase, practice hospitality, and again, it doesn't quite capture the force of Paul's encouragement. He literally, literally says, pursue hospitality. Uh, the word he uses here is elsewhere translated harass, right? Go after it. 
Now, at our previous church, um, we knew a couple who they saw how central hospitality should be to Christian community. But this couple, they lived about an hour away from church. And so they realized that they didn't want that to be a barrier. And so they needed to get creative. And so pretty much every Sunday, they, they started inviting people uh, to, to grab some lunch and to go meet them at a park nearby. They realized that they needed to get creative. And I wonder, uh, maybe you could be creative too. Now, next week, we're having our own Hospitality Sunday. And so that's a great chance to extend or receive hospitality from others inside our church. But Hospitality Sunday, it's not about going and sitting with our, our, our good mates and having a good time with people we know well. It's about going and spending time with people we might not know so well. And so there's a, there's a uh, sign-up sheet in the hall. And if you're visiting, come pop your name on it. would love for someone to be able to host you uh, for a meal. But by all means, also, don't wait till next week. This week, invite someone around for a meal. Grab them and say, hey, come back to mine or hey, let's go here. Uh, and as well, don't stop after Hospitality Sunday. Rather, use that as a sort of uh, prompt to think about how you could continue to show hospitality to others going forward. Well, verse 14 then, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Uh, well, this seems to be a bit, starting a bit of a transition uh, in our passage where he starts applying his guiding principle of Christ-shaped love more than just to those inside, but in fact to those outside the church. Now, that's not to say that persecution only comes from outside the church. Sadly, that's not the case. But if we even bless non-believers who mistreat us, how much more should we be loving and blessing our brothers and sisters who we meet with together in church, who we have much in common with? Verse 15 then, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Uh, that this kind of other person-centered focused love, it actually enters deeply into the lives and emotions of the other person, of fellow Christians. Now in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says that if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now the impl implication here is that we're actually invested in each other's lives. Now, this won't be the case if we don't let our conversations run deep or if we keep our walls up and don't actually let other people in. And it certainly can't even begin to happen if we don't care enough about other people to prioritise the informal parts of our gathering before and after the service itself. And so here's some diagnostic questions for you, ones that we might feel uncomfortable with. Do you know the people who have only joined our church in the last six months or, or year? Do you know where they've come from? Do you know why they're here, why they chose our church? Do you know the people who would normally be at church but aren't currently? Do you know what's going on for them? And how comfortable are you at uh, letting your guard down and letting other people in? How do you go at taking opportunities to share life with other people and to pray for them, to let people have things to pray for you and sitting with people in both the joyous but also the hard times?
Well, we move on to verse 16. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Well, we live in a world where it's easy, easy to become uh, obsessed with status and position, uh, and one where we develop natural cliques with people uh, in no matter what circles we're a part of. And while it may not be the, quite the issue that we uh, consider people uh, as being of lower position than us at church, our actions might betray that we, we do, in fact, walk into church like we're walking onto the school bus again. Groups of people who we, we love, we long to see and we enjoy, but other groups that maybe we all but ignore. This is something we need to repent of. And so, do you know your brothers and sisters who sit around you on a Sunday if you gather? Are there people you've sat next to for years perhaps, but are still basic strangers with? Well, let me be vulnerable for a moment and share my own heart. Uh, verse 16 has been a challenge to me this week. Uh, some of you will know that Dee and I have, a few, two weeks ago, we went away on our uh, college year group weekend conference. And while we were there, we hadn't seen most of the people, in fact, pretty much all of them in about seven or eight months. And so for me, my aim was to get around and get to see and chat to uh, and invest in and encourage everyone there. But sadly, I didn't get the chance to do that. And to my shame, it was the people that I had the least in common with who I excused myself from making an effort towards. And so as I was preparing through the week, as I was reading this in Romans 12, I really felt that kind of weight and guilt on my heart. I wonder where your heart sits when it comes to everyone who you know at church, or in fact, everyone who is at church. Well, the last five verses in this chapter, uh, they move uh, following the continual and natural uh, trend, trends uh, transition from loving those inside the church to loving those who are outside, loving non-believers. Uh, I'm not going to dip into that today because as we conclude our loving and welcoming series next week, we're going to finish by thinking about what it looks like to be loving and welcoming of outsiders and newcomers. But as we finish today, I want you to keep wrestling with how we are personally going at being loving and welcoming of our brothers and sisters who we meet with here in church. Remembering that our relationships with others, they shouldn't be like walking on that old school bus again. Rather, God calls us to a sincere, Christ-like, devoted love for one another. And when we are obedient, obedient in these ways, that's what it's like. We're being more and more like our Lord and Saviour Jesus. How beautiful a picture of church there would it be if we were all obedient in these ways. If we were all living these things out. So, will you do that? Will you not simply consider uh, whether or not you feel like you love church? But will you commit to loving your church like Christ does? And we do this, verse 1 tells us, in view of God's mercy to us. We love one another in this way because God first loved us through his Son, our Lord Jesus.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son. You showed us your love. Father, help us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ with this same kind of selfless, sacrificial love, uh, honouring them above ourselves. And Lord, help us to let our own churches be characterised uh, like, uh, by the way, that Paul's encouraging these early churches here. Father, let our gatherings be little snippets of the heavenly reality. Uh, let us be sharing one another in love, uh, looking for opportunities to be hospitable, uh, seeking to serve others, seeking to get to know people, invest in lives, so that we can be both uh, weeping and rejoicing with one another in all that goes on for us. Uh, Father, please be working inside each one of us, be transforming our hearts and growing us to be more and more like the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Well, uh, we go now to another time of praise.
Before we pray, I want to let you know about three things that are coming up. Uh, the first one is a reminder. A reminder that Hospitality Sunday is next week. And so uh, do come and put your name down. If you can't come in, uh, give us a call at the office and, and we'll, we'll sort that out. Second thing is that on the 25th of this month, uh, we have an evangelistic course starting called Introducing God. Uh, Introducing God is a really relaxed and warm space where we want to invite our non-Christian friends into, people who are exploring Jesus, so that they can come, have some refreshments, uh, watch a short bit of video input, and then spend some time uh, asking their hard questions and wrestling with what, what all this means, what the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ means for them personally. If you've got friends and you're wondering what's next for them, this would be a great thing to aim to invite them along to. And the third thing is on the 20th, so on the Saturday beforehand, there'll be a men's and women's outreach night. And so we're finalizing the details of that. Pop it in your calendar and again, be thinking, who are the people in my life that I could be encouraging along to that? Uh, it'll be out at Pioneer Village. It'll be on, on the Saturday night. Uh, it'll be a time of drinks, pizza and a talk. Uh, again, it's a thing about questioning Christianity. And so if you've got people who are wanting to wrestle, who, are, who have got questions, bring them along to that. Maybe as it's the first step, uh, let me encourage you to be thinking about how you can be using, uh, in fact, not using, how you can be encouraging the people in your life to consider uh, the greatest news of all, and that's that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. Uh, those are three things for you to be thinking about, three things for your diary uh, and aiming towards, uh, and three things that you would also probably uh, should be praying for as we come to a time of prayer now. Uh, so in a moment, pause the video. There'll be a screen with some prayer points that come up. Uh, take the opportunity to be praying for big things, small things, things in your own life, things in the church. If you're watching with other people, uh, stop and pray together with them. Uh, following that, I uh, will go to a time of praise and then uh, we'll conclude the service. And so let me encourage you uh, to stop now and, and let's bring all these things in our lives before our great and loving God.
as we finish our time together. Uh, let me read from Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 uh, to close us out. There Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Uh, may you continue to live for him uh, as we go out this week. Uh, I look forward to seeing you next time.